Let our kids be dismissed down to Children's Church at this time. And uh, let's grab our Bibles and let's, uh, let's unlock some Bible study together, shall we? And uh, that's really what we're going to be talking about here in the next several weeks, or really probably next couple months during the summer, is how do we unlock the Bible? How do we figure out what God's Word says and what it means? And how do we know that we're not reading into the Bible to get what we want from the Bible rather than what the Bible actually teaches or what the Bible actually says? And uh, so I want you to take your Bible. We're going to go to 1 Timothy, and uh, we're going to look at a very familiar text this morning found in the book of First Timothy, or 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. We're going to start at chapter 3, and we're going to look at two familiar verses, especially if you've ever uh, been in the Iwana program, or you've ever been through some children's program, or hopefully some discipleship series or program or something like that. You're going to know these two verses, and what we're going to do today is we're going to use these verses as our outline that's going to help us understand how we study God's Word. And uh, so I, 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 as a goal for this series, okay, as a goal for this series, I want to put great tools in your hands that are going to allow you to study the Bible in a way that, you, number one, you don't have to be ashamed of it, okay? And then number two, in a way that you're able to use the tools that you're equipped with to then go and share that with somebody else, Okay. That's my end goal. The reason I, I wanted to become a pastor, number one, I was called to ministry. I didn't want to be a pastor. I don't know if many of you know that. I wanted to be an air traffic controller or, you know what the other one would be, pilot, right? That's what I wanted to do. That's, that's, in, in high school, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I was going to be. And I really wanted to be an air traffic controller because they made $150,000. Pilots, you know, they only made like a hundred. But pastors. Uh, anyway, let me... Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I, that's what I really wanted to do. I, I wanted to, you know, be in aviation in some way in one of those two realms. And when I was a freshman in high school, God got a hold of my heart. Really, I got a hold of it a long time before that. But my call to ministry came when I was in high school and I was at a Bible camp. And um, I, I, I felt an urgency to go into ministry then. But the real call to ministry came in a missions conference when a missionary from Africa who was a doctor in an OR room was operating on a guy and a mamba snake came in and the mamba snake, one of the most venomous snakes in the world. And uh, they, this guy was at a point in his surgery in which he had to be worked on. He had to be finished up or he would die. And uh, the doctor told everybody to leave the OR and he stepped outside the OR and said, it's going to cost you your life, but who's willing to go in and help me fight that mamba so we can save this guy's life? And it may cost you your life, but who's willing? And I remember sitting there thinking, you know what? I'm willing, and it's going to cost me what I want to do in life to follow what God wants me to do. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. I love it. I get to dabble in aviation, and I get, to, I get to do what God's called me to do full time. And I'm excited about that. And sometimes when you're in what I call a Christian bubble, uh, you forget the basics, Right? You forget that there are people in your church and there are people around your church. There are people watching the church that you pastor that are asking questions, but they're not going to ask questions in the big group settings. Where are they going to do it? One-on-one. -on -one. 
And when they get an opportunity to get near a pastor and they're, they're not from your stripe or whatever, um, they, they tend to ask questions and they want to know answers to those questions. And believe it or not, there's a lot of people that watch our live stream. There are a lot of people that follow along week after week and they know what we're doing in our church and they don't wonder what our church is like because they can see what our church is like online. And I'm, I'm, it's been interesting. The last three weeks alone, I've probably taken more questions about the Bible and how I study the Bible and how I come up with messages than any time in my ministry. That's like 20 years. I've had more questions the last three weeks, how I personally study the Bible, how I come up with messages, how, I, how, we, how we as pastors, not just me, but how do pastors, I mean, you open up this book and how in the world do you pick what verses you're going to talk about? How's that happen? And uh, so we're going to talk about that. How does that happen? How does that happen for you? What does that look like? And uh, how I can share with you and those who watch online, how you can... Search the Bible for yourself, because there are churches today that tell you, you are not allowed to interpret scripture for yourself. You need somebody to tell you what the Bible says. And you know what the Bible says about that? That's not true. Nowhere does the Bible say that. Now, the Bible does say that the Bible is not of any private interpretation. In other words, I can't go to the book with a preconceived idea and then look for a verse that's going to prove my preconceived idea and then use that verse for my advantage to go around and tell everybody my preconceived idea is biblical. That's not private interpretation. Uh, private, or that is private interpretation. That's when you're going to the text, telling the text what it needs to say so that you can go out and validate yourself to others. God never intended his word to be used that way. God always intended his word to be God's desire for you to know who he is, what he's like, and how you should act. And when we know who God is, and we know what he's like, what is the natural response to man, for man then? To do what that God's asked us to do. The God of the Bible. What, what has he asked us to do? What has he asked us to yield to him? What has he asked us to give him? What has he asked us to do for him? So it's my goal as a pastor to put great tools in your hands. And many times we'll give you a book or we'll give you a study guide or we'll give you whatever else. And those are tools to try to help you study the Bible. But in this series, we're going to just take the Bible by itself and we're going to teach you how to study the Bible. That's the goal. How do we unlock these books? How do we unlock this book so that you can utilize it with anybody, anywhere, anytime for God's glory and their good? That sound like a good, fair proposition? So that's what we're going to do over this series. And as we open up our Bibles this morning, we're going to go to a familiar passage of most Christians. And you're, you're going to sit here and go, I'm not going to get a lot of revelation from this pastor. I got this verse memorized. I know what this verse says. And, and I've applied it to my life. And, and so I'm going to take this sermon off. Well, if you do that, that's, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the whole point. And, and, and the point is really this. If you're that familiar with this, why aren't you already teaching? All right? So for the Christian that's sitting there thinking that in your mind, I've heard so many verses from this passage. Pastor, why are we going through this? All right? If that's you this morning, the question for you, by way of application is, why aren't you doing it? Right? Because we do this in discipleship, don't we? We use scripture that comes from God, and we use it, and profitability to those that we teach to show them what the Bible says, where they're out of bounds, how we fix how they're out of bounds, 
and then how we keep them on the right path, right? That's, that's how every, how many of you have heard that taught that way, right? God's word will tell you what it wants you to do. It'll show you where you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And then it shows you how to fix what you're not doing. And then how to keep not doing what you're not doing. Or keep doing what you should be doing. Right? And that's the verse. But the problem is, most of the time, we stop at this verse. And aren't you glad behind 16 comes what? Well, look what the next verse says. If you do this, then there's a natural response that occurs in the next verse. If you do this, then the man of God will be complete and equipped for, what's the next word? How many of you feel like you're equipped to do whatever God wants you to do today? I'm raising my hand. I, I, I know I am. Here's the problem. Will I do it? Right? I mean, either I'm fully equipped to do what God's called me to do, or the Bible's a liar. Is that a fair proposition? Either God has given me his word that is able to call me out, fix me up, teach me, direct me, guide me, show me, to do whatever God wants me to do, that I would be complete. What does complete mean? It means to lack nothing. So I have everything I need. I am, some of your translations say it this way, fully equipped, right? The King James Version uses that language, fully equipped. Other translations will say complete. Some translations say you'll lack nothing, all right? So there's nothing more that I need from God to do what? What's the last phrase of the verse? Every good work. So in other words, God's word is telling us this morning that God has given to you already everything you need to know about him, to know about you, to know what he wants you to do, to accomplish what he's called you to do. Now, as a pastor, do I feel like I have everything I need for every circumstance and every point of life and every situation that I already know what God wants? No. You say, well, then, Pastor, you're not fully equipped. Yeah, I am. I am fully equipped. I have everything I need to figure out what God wants to happen in somebody's situation. That's why we counsel, right? Do pastors know everything about counseling? No. But guess who does? Guess who I have working in my corner for me? I have the Holy Spirit of God. I've got the Word of God. I've got the promises of God. And I have the truth of God. Now, what, what status in there is depraved enough or missing enough that it, it's not going to be able to handle what they have? This is why, as Baptists, we believe the Bible is a sole authority of our faith and our practice. Because it has words for us for how we live our life, and it has words for us about what we should believe. So the Bible is not just a theological book of ideas that we need to memorize and be able to regurgitate when somebody challenges us, but it is a very practical book that's also going to show us how we live our lives, how we can trust God, and, and what we need in order to live a life that is going to accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. So my job as a pastor is to collect materials, collect resources, study myself to be thoroughly convinced that what the Bible says is true, right? That's, that's my job as a pastor, is to be thoroughly convinced that God's word is true, and then to convey that 
to others who need to hear it. So that's my goal as we enter into this series. And the series is designed to help us understand how to study the Bible because I believe that outside of salvation itself, there is no greater gift a Christian can give to somebody else than to show them how to study God's word. By the way, that's why pastors do what they do. We go into ministry so we can teach others what the word of God says and not so you can just trust us at our word. We want you to go to the word and we want you to see it for yourself. And that's why Bible study is that. We study the Bible, right? Uh, Discipleship, we're teaching you to study the Bible. We want to give you tools for that. But I believe there's no greater gift than to teach somebody else how to read and understand the Bible. When I began my educational journey with Jesus Christ, I remember I wanted nothing more than be able to navigate the Bible. I want to be able to think through it chronologically. I want to, I want to study eschatology, right? That's what every, everybody wants to know. What's going to happen in the end? I'll give you the cliff notes. God wins. He started it. He finished it, right? He created it. And he, re- he creates it again. Uh, uh, he's, he's the author and finisher of faith. We, we all know this, right? But I wanted to know how. I wanted to know why. I wanted to dig deep into the Bible. I wanted to get really deep theologically. You know what I learned as I got deeper and deeper in theology? You never figure out who God is. You know why? Every time you think you get close to him, it's kind of like the Rocky Mountains. If you've ever driven up on the Rocky Mountains, or if you've ever flown towards a mountain range, you know, in the windshield, it's like this big, right? What happens as you get closer? It's about this big. Then all of a sudden, it's so big, you can't even see the mountaintops. And you know what? As you get closer to God, I've, I've told you many times, I have a Master of Divinity, which I call the oxymoron degree. Because number one, you can't master that which is infinite. You can't master that which is all-knowing. And you can't master that which is all-present. And if you master divinity, then you're God. Right? That was what Satan tried to do. Um, However, the master divinity degree taught me one thing. If you think God is big from a distance, wait till you get up close. We serve a big God. We serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Easy to quote, hard to live. Right? But does he? Does he do more than you ask him? Does he answer prayer when you don't even pray it? Does he take care of your needs when you don't ask him? Does he guide you when you don't ask for guidance? Does he provide when you haven't asked for provision? And then what does he do when you do ask? Even more than you thought. Even more than you ask. Even more than you thought you needed. And our God is so big and so powerful that the closer you get to him, the bigger he becomes. By the way, just ask every Bible character who interacted with God. Remember Moses? I just want to see the backside of your glory. How did he come off the hill? Changed. When Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, how did he come out? With clean lips, clean motive, and he confessed sin for everybody. Not just his own sin, he confessed it for everybody. He was, he was all in. And every time we see people interact with God, they always come back with a bigger view of God. God is so much bigger. So uh, when I started my educational journey, I wanted to get to know God. I thought I was going to figure this out, right? And the more I got into it, the bigger God got. The more I got into his word, the deeper his word got. And by the way, there are passages of scripture that I've preached out of, and I'll go back through that passage again, and I'm like, how did I miss all this? Second and third time through, it's like, how in the world did I miss? You want a great challenge? 
Take the book of Jude for the next 30 days. Read through the book of Jude every day for 30 days. Write down the things that you see for the first 10 days. And then write down the next things you see the next 10 days. I guarantee you that book will go so deep it'll blow your mind. You will cover every facet of God in the book of Jude. How many knew that? Check it out. See if I'm wrong. That book there, I, I could preach literally... If God were allowed me to do it, I could preach a 25-week series out of the book of Jude and, and not exhaust it, not even come close. And it's one of the shortest books in all the Bible. You could literally sit down and read it in four minutes. So take four minutes a day for the next 30 days, read through the book of Jude, and then come tell me what you didn't get out of God's word. Because you're, gonna, you're not going to tell me that. You're going to tell me, did you know? Did you know? Did, I had no idea. It's all in there. You got angels, you got God, you got sin, you got creation, you got, it's all in there. Check it out. Awesome little book. But our Bible that we hold today has over 40 authors writing over thousands of years with numerous cultural contexts, often showered with religious jargon, hard to understand cultural concepts that are completely foreign to us. And yet we're supposed to every day open this book, look inside the book and get something from God's word that applies to 2022, right? That's the goal. That's a, that's a, that's a, high, that's a high bar. That, that, I, I can't think of any other book in the world that you would challenge this challenge to, and yet God's word is up to the challenge. It says, read me and I'll change your life. Study me and I'll, I'll show you approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So in the next few weeks, as we get through this series, I really, I started out with these five goals, and, and these are no longer the five goals, but I'm going to share these goals because this is where it started, okay? The purpose of reading the Bible, or the challenges that we're going to look at is first, how we, can, how we can purpose, what is the purpose of reading the Bible? Why do we do that? Then what is the plot of the Bible? What is the method for studying the Bible? How do we build a Bible reading habit? And then what are the tools and types of Bibles? Why are there all these different types of Bibles today, right? There's the study Bible. There's the prophecy Bible. There's the end times Bible. There's, there's uh, every translation under the sun from the Geneva Bible to the New King James to the King James to the ESV to the RSV to the... What do all these things mean? Why can't I just read the Bible? So we're going to look at this in a very practical way. And underneath this, we're probably going to explore some other areas too, but... In each of the lessons that we're going to look at, my aim, my arm, my, my desire is to better help you understand how to study the Bible. And let me tell you this. When you study the Bible, the first thing you don't do is run to a commentary. Okay? It's not the first thing. You know what the first thing you do is? Let's repeat this together. Read the text. Right? If you're going to study the Bible, what's the first thing you need to start with? The Bible. The text. What does the Bible actually say? Are commentaries good? Yes. Do I use commentaries? Not as much as I used to. Not as much as I used to. Usually if I'm looking at a commentary now, it's like, how's somebody going to try to debate this? Where, where are they going to argue? Where, where, where am I going to take the, uh, the one-off argument from? You know, what, a, what am I, I'm trusting the Word of God and what it actually says. So somebody's going to try to read into it or twist it. Where, where's that going to come from? In commentaries, a lot of times they'll give you, well, some people believe this, some people believe that, but here's what I believe. Well, that's great what he believes, but here's the real question. What do you believe? 
It's one thing for Pastor Joe to believe something. It's a different thing for you to believe something. If I believe it, that's great, but that doesn't help you. And if your belief is my belief, when your faith is tested, you're going to come up wanting. Because you're not going to be thoroughly convinced. What if Pastor Joe was wrong? But what does the Bible actually say? What does the word of God actually say? That's what matters and should matter to everybody today. Because, by the way, we don't call this the Baptist word. We don't call this the church word. We don't call this good behavior word. We call this God's word. And if it's God's word, who's the author? God. And if God wanted to reveal himself, where do you think God would reveal himself? In his word. If you wanted to find a word from God, where would you look to find a word from God? In God's word. I wouldn't look in the church. I wouldn't look in somebody's opinion. I wouldn't look in somebody's thought. I'd want to go back to the original source. I want to go back to God. And you say, well, pastor, that's kind of nice, but there's 66 different books and 40 different authors who wrote over thousands of years. How do you know that you have God's word? That's a great question. That's something we're going to talk about when we talk about why we have all the different Bibles today. Do you know some of the Bibles are just because people like to make money? If you change enough of the words, guess what you can do? You can market your own Bible. If you market your own Bible, who buys Bibles? Church people. How many Bibles do they buy over time? There's a market there, right? So then all of a sudden you get the Southern Baptist Bible, you get the Reformed Bible, you get all these other little translation, little trinkets. Some of them genuinely are working to try to get a modern English translation. I mean, how many of you talking Elizabethan English on a regular basis? Nobody. You know what? If we read 1611, I got a 1611 Bible in my office. If somebody wants to come out and read it, we'll all be entertained. Because number one, you're going to have a hard time reading it. Number two, you're not going to be able to read the calligraphy it was written in. It's, it's hard. But you know what? Is that the Word of God? Yeah. Is the King James Bible you have today the Word of God? Yeah. Is the ESV Bible you're carrying today the Word of God? Yeah. Well, how is that possible? They all don't say the exact same thing. They actually do say the same thing, but what language changes? English. If something is cool, what does that mean? If it's hot, what does that mean? If, it, if it's... Never mind. You get the idea, right? We can use all the vernacular slang we want to use today. And, and, and we all know hot needs context. Cold, cool, needs context. Does it mean it's cold? Cold or does it mean, wow, that's pretty neat. Is it cool? And all these things take context. And guess what the Word of God was written in? Context. And, and we know what context they were written in. And we know how to discern what the verses say. So let's jump into our, our, our lesson here. And we're really going to fly through it this morning because it, it, it's pretty self-explanatory when we get to it. So let's look at the verse. It says, all scripture is breathed out or inspired. The word inspiration literally means to breathe out. Is breathed out by God and is profitable that means there's application for it. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the text is short, perhaps. One, I, I believe, one of the most insightful portions of Scripture in all the Bible when it comes to Bible study. Because this tells us what Paul is telling us, what is important when it comes to Bible study. What are the four areas we need to look at? Well, first, we need to look at the profit that we get from teaching, right? 
How do you learn? In order to learn, you have to have a teacher. Or there's somebody instructing you. In this situation, who or what is instructing you? It's not a pastor. It's not a church. It's the word of God. The words of God are going to teach you. So the, God is the instructor of the Bible. He instructs us. And pastors are just under shepherds of the teacher. Right? How many of you ever had a teacher aide in a class? Right? Pastors are teacher's aides. We're not the teacher. We don't have the credentials of the teacher. But yet we come alongside the teacher to help out the teacher. Right? God says, I am the good shepherd. And he calls his pastors what? Under shepherds. We're disciples of the shepherd. We're, we're, we're learners from the shepherd. So hopefully a pastor who's worth his salt is following the good shepherd. He's following the master teacher and teaching what the teacher taught and reaffirming to others what the teacher taught. So it says it's God's instruction manual for showing us the road. Second, we profit from reproof. And what reproof is this? Everybody needs to know when we're out of bounds. We need to know that we don't always have it right. We need to understand that there are times in our, in our lives where we don't get it right. And we are out of bounds. And we do need to make it right with God. So reproof simply makes us better people. It fixes their, the issues in our life. It's God's way of showing us when we get off the road that leads to life. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians wreck right here. In the reproof category. God shows them something wrong in their lives and they never recover from it. Or they identify with it and never get past it. But the third thing the scripture promises to do is this. It corrects us. Correction shows us how to get back on the road. We don't have to stay broken down, busted up, wrecked in a corner. We don't have to stay that way. God is in the business of taking broken things and fixing them and making them profitable for him again. By the way, he takes the old man and kills it and creates a new man within you when you get saved, right? The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become... No, that's what God's in the business of. Casting off the things which are behind and running the race that is set before us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. And then the fourth thing is this. We profit from training. We profit from training. There is a proactiveness in showing us how to stay on the right road. So I believe Paul is pointing out something very valuable to us. He's pointing out that there is a rich value and profit that, we ha that he found in his own life as he got the word of God, as he read the Old Testament, as he studied the Bible for himself, as God revealed his word to Paul, Paul saw a vast change in his own life that now he wants to invest in the lives of others as he's writing. And he's trying to pass these truths onto us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, who's he passing it on to in this text? It's going from Paul to Timothy. Who is Timothy? Paul's protege. It's his spiritual son. It's his, it's his offspring spiritually. And he's like, Timothy, I want you to know these things. And by virtue of Paul telling Timothy, who's that prophet in the end? Us today. So if we want to know what Pastor Paul would tell Pastor Timothy, guess what we have in 2 Timothy? That very thing. And by, by virtue of us having it today, we can learn from it. Uh, I was going to bring this Bible in this morning. I forgot it in my office. I didn't want to go run and grab it. In the front leaf of the, the Bible my grandmother bought me when I went into ministry, there's a saying from Dwight Lyman Moody. Anybody know who Dwight Lyman Moody was? D.L. Moody, uh, evangelist in the Chicago area, 
pastor as well. Moody Bible Institute is named after him today. Uh, he was a shoe salesman. I can relate to that. I sold shoes when I was in high school. He was a shoe salesman, uh, turned pastor, turned preacher, and uh, he was famous for a quote. And he says this, and in the written, written in the flyleaf of my Bible is this phrase from my, my grandmother. It says, this book, her, her saying says this, this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. D.L. Moody's quote was, this Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from your Bible. And, uh, you know, that's something that I've had in the flyleaf of that Bible. And, and, and as I was getting ready to do this series, I opened that Bible. And sure enough, that, that quote's still in there. My grandma's been with the Lord for I don't even know how many years now. Probably well over a decade. But her writing in my Bible is still there. And it's a quote from Dwight Lyman Moody. And it really goes with 2 Timothy 3.17. It says this, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What does every mean? Every. It's kind of one of them self-defining words. Like, what is the definition of all? All. Right? It means everything. It means all. You're equipped for whatever God's called you to do. And I think one of the things that slips our mind when we read the Bible is that the Bible is God's objective truth to the world. And that God's word for thousands of years was simply only audible. And then it was written down. But not everybody had it. It really wasn't until the printing press that the average commoner had the Bible in his own language, which meant this. If somebody had a copy of the Word of God, guess what they had? A rare thing. It was special. Even today, if you have an original Greek manuscript document, people pay big bucks for that stuff today. Even some of the old Bibles will pay big. A Tyndall Bible or a Wycliffe Bible or something like that. Not the one you buy at the store. Like the original John Wycliffe actually penned it. Uh, you know, you get your hands on part of that manuscript. It's worth thousands and tens of thousands of dollars today. And for the early believers, when they had a letter from one of the apostles, that was so big. They memorized it. They shared it by memorizing it. Today, the Bible is so common. We live in a generation in which there's more access to the Bible than any generation that's ever lived on the planet Earth. We have more Bibles than at any time on the face of the earth. And yet we have more people who don't know the Bible than any time on the face of the earth. And you think about the population of the earth today, it's not shrinking, it's growing. And that means that there is a majority of the population of the world today that doesn't know what God's word says. There's a majority of Americans today who grew up in schools that didn't say the Pledge of Allegiance, they didn't say or have the Ten Commandments in their classroom. They didn't have Bible training. They didn't grow up going to church. They grew up going to the lake. They grew up playing sports. They grew up doing everything but God. And now we're looking at our churches and the average age in the average church today is 60 years old. And we say, well, that ungrateful generation, or did we program them a certain way? And now we're beginning in America to reap what we sowed. And we're reap more than than we sowed. And we're wondering, how in the world can our country go backwards so fast? Well, why not? Take away morality, and what do you get? Every man does that which is? Well, that's great for you, but I don't feel like that's important for me. And there you have it. What you call right isn't necessarily right. That's right for you, but not right for me. 
This is why we got the dichotomy on our Supreme Court. This is why we got the dichotomy in politics. This is why we got all the issues that we have today is because everybody's going around saying their view is right, their view is truth, but based on what? And feelings change. You ever have your feelings change in a moment? If not, if you never experienced that, go home, hit your hand with a hammer. You'll experience it. Amazing how fast your whole countenance can change and your feelings change and what you think of a hammer changes. It's great for driving nails, not so great for driving hands. And you know what? Our feelings change. So today our Bibles are a compilation of 66 books bound into one book and the books are all recounting historical events that actually happened in God's intervention with mankind and we often think that the Bible is some distant book that happened in the past and and is not really relevant today, but this is actually God's breathed word to us, right? And does God change? If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then who's changed? God's desire for us to know him is the same. God's word is the same. What's changed is how we view God and how we view his word. And this is where we kind of paint ourselves into the first picture. And I want, I, want you to, I want you to imagine a couple of pictures here with me. The first is this. God is painting a picture, or the Bible paints a picture that God is actively breathing words to us so that we have the spiritual oxygen we need to live our spiritual lives. I want everybody to breathe in real deep. Go. All right, that felt good, didn't it? It was invigorating. Maybe you're sleeping, you got oxygen now, your brain kind of perks up a little bit, your eyes got a little big, and you're like, whoa, that felt good, right? All right, this time breathe in and then don't breathe for a minute. Why don't you want to do it? Because you know oxygen is the source of life. You know without oxygen, you will go incapacitated, and, and without oxygen long enough, you're going to die. Spiritually speaking, what is our oxygen? And God breathed into man the breath of, and man became a living. So how do we live everlasting life? And how do you breathe spiritually? And how do you, how do you get more oxygen into your body when you're working hard spiritually? And you need encouraged spiritually. You need recharged spiritually. Where do you go for that? Do you go to church? Do you go to a friend? No, the reality is we go to God's word. And he says, literally, every word of my Bible is breathed out to you as oxygen for life. To give you everything you need to do what? Everything I've called you to do. It is a spiritual oxygen for your life. He says that. Second, what he says is this. It paints a picture that we are lifeless without scripture. Because if God's word if God breathed out his word for you to be able to do whatever he's called you to do, if you're not in his word, what are you not going to do? You're dead spiritually. A thing without oxygen is dead. Whether it be a goldfish, whether it be a person, whether it be an animal, when it's out of oxygen, it dies. And so it paints a picture that we are lifeless without scripture. Third, it paints a picture of an active breathing process that assumes that you've got to keep breathing. You can't read the Bible once, and now I have the breath of life for all time. No. you got to keep going back. Just like you take another breath, and every breath you take is another second of life. 
And during this service, you'll probably take over 10,000 breaths just to stay alive, just to keep breathing, just to keep moving in that process. So it paints a picture of active breathing process that assumes that we always need breathing. The fact is, every one of us has sustained our life during this service by breathing. And you know what? This week, we're all going to sustain our spiritual life by doing something. And the saddest thing that can happen is this. You don't do anything spiritually for the next week, and you come back into church next Sunday, and you, you, you kind of feel like this, or you'll say this, or maybe you won't say it because your Christian piety is too good. But you'll say something, I'm just so worn out. Well, when people are worn out, it's usually because either they're not conditioned to do what they're doing, or they're lacking energy. And how do you get energy? Food and oxygen. Watch NFL players when they go to Denver, Colorado and play in Denver. They hit the sideline and what's the first thing they stick on their face? You see them huffing, right? They're breathing in that pure oxygen. Why are they doing it? Because it reinvigorates them. It takes what's depleted in their body and recharges it. God's word every day reinvigorates us, recharges us, gives us life into our eternal life again. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The purpose of God's word is to guide us towards transformation and empowerment. But it's also God's instruction manual so that we can become the men and women that God wants us to be. So it's our manual, but it's also our energy source. It's our oxygen supply. So let me give you the purpose of reading God's word. The purpose for reading God's word is personal change. That's why it's so stupid for churches to act like they don't want to change. Because the very premise of God's word is what? Change. Change or die. If you don't change and be conformed to the image of Christ, you're dead in your sins. Unless we're progressing towards Christ, you're dead. Now there is a process that brings you along, but you're either dead or you're alive. If you're alive in Christ, guess what you're conforming to? Christ's image, Christ's character, Christ's perfection, Christ's righteousness. Now all that's imputed to us. We don't earn that. It's imputed to us by being part of the family. But there is a change that occurs. The old things pass away and behold, all things become... Now, if you get new stuff, how do you keep the old stuff? If you're going to use the new stuff, what do you do with the old stuff? You don't use it anymore. You store it. Well, God doesn't want us storing the old baggage. He wants us to jettison the old baggage, laying aside every weight, right? Getting rid of those things which doth hinder us and moving on to the prize, the high calling of Jesus Christ. So God's desire is for personal change to occur in every single life. By the way, does God want his church to stay the same in all generations for all time? Doctrinally, yes. Culturally, you can't tell me the Jewish church in Jerusalem ran just like the church in Ephesus. You're never going to sell me on that because the culture was different. Matter of fact, Paul even said, if you're a Jew living in Ephesus, what do you need to act like? Ephesus. If you act like a Jew, they're not going to relate to you and you have no way of interacting with them. Paul said, I, lay a, I become all things to all men that I might win. What does it mean to become all things to all men? 
I change to where my culture is. I don't give up my Christian beliefs. I don't change the core essence of what I believe, but I do infiltrate the culture I've been called to so that I can reach people and bring them to Jesus Christ. Could Christians be Christians in Ephesus? Yeah. Could Christians be Christians in Jerusalem? Yeah. When Christian Jews in Jerusalem and Christian Jews in Corinth or Ephesus and other places came together, especially Antioch, was there controversy? Yeah, why? What did they argue about? Not the doctrine. They argued about the cultural ramifications of what was going on. And you know what they decided? If you're in Ephesus, then live like you're in Ephesus. And you're in Jerusalem, live like you're in Jerusalem. But we're both brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see that in, uh, in what is it, Acts 16, uh, where, where they're having a great church council there. So the purpose of reading God's word is personal change. God does not want us to say, watch with me. One of, one of the most quoted historians of the church and, and a great pastor and great writer says this, when preparing to study the Bible, you must ensure that the person is willing to change, that the person is right and willing to change. Because if you go to the Bible and willing to change, guess what you're going to leave as? And guess what the Bible is going to be to you? Irrelevant. There are a lot of Christians today who don't want to change and they believe the Bible's not as powerful as it says it is because they're unwilling to change and, and, the, and the Word of God doesn't mean anything to them. They can take it or leave it. They can live their life with or without it. But a real Christian says this, I need to change. I need God's Word in my life every single day. What does it mean to be complete and equipped? That's the real question of the verse. What does it mean to be complete and equipped? What does this mean? Well, let me share, to share with you both ways. I'll share with what it means and what it doesn't mean, okay? First, it does imply that the Bible is essential for direction in our life. How many believe that the Word of God can direct our lives, right? So tell me where computer science is in the Bible. God's leading me into computer science. Where's that in the Bible? All right, we all know that's not there, right? God's Word is not going to lead you to a vocation, but the principles and precepts, are going to lead you to what you're gifted in, and what you're gifted in, God's going to use in some field, right? So do, can God's word show you what field to be in? The answer is yes. Is it going to tell you specifically what field you should be in? It might, it did me. <laughs> That's kind of not fair though, right? You're like, you're a pastor. Well, 1 Timothy 3, a man desires the office of a ministry, the office of a bishop. I desired it, and it did work for me. But in the end... You know what? It's not, it didn't tell me, you're going to go to Faith Baptist Church in Sauk Center, Minnesota, and it's going to be this year and this time, and this is your span that you're going to be there. It doesn't tell me all those things, but it did lead me to where, I want, where I, God wanted me to be. So it does reveal to us what is essential in direction. But number two, let's, let's check this out. It does imply that the Bible is everything we need for living a godly life. What does all mean? What does every mean? Right? It equips us for every good work. It gives us everything we need to live a godly life. But then thirdly, let me show you what it does not imply. It does not imply that we worship the Bible. And by the way, Bible worship is alive and well today. There are some people that hold the Bible so high and unchangeable that God can't even change it if he wanted to. Right? Now, do we know the Bible is the Word of God? Yes. Is God's Word in one translation? No. And when we elevate the translation higher than we elevate our evangelism, our doctrine, or some other position, 
We're not where God wants us to be. Now, has God preserved his word? Yes. Has God inspired his word? Yes. Has God faithfully in every generation, at every time and all time, given exactly to that generation the words that he wanted them to have? Yes. That's preservation. That's doctrine stuff. Yes. We believe that. Has God preserved it all in one translation for all time forever? No. No. And the King James only position is not a biblical position. And I'll argue with all the King James people they want. I went to Pensacola Christian College. I went to the bastion of the, of the institution that promotes that view. And I did not come out convinced of that at all. As a matter of fact, they emboldened me the other way in this area. Because Erasmus had seven documents and used textual criticism. And if you want to argue that with me sometime, let's come. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I was, I was the text criticism class of Pensacola. I, I've been down that road. But it would be disingenuous of me as a pastor to tell you, unless you're carrying a King James Bible, you don't have the Bible. That's not true. I have, I have a Bible right here, and guess what? I've led people to the Lord out of it. Can you lead, the, lead somebody to the Lord out of a commentary? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by? There it is. God's word is what saves people, not his translation. By the way, most translations around the world today are not from King James. So if only Americans have the Bible, we didn't give it to the, them in the right translation, then the entire world is condemned because we're, we didn't translate right. It's crazy. If we really stop and think about it, it is crazy. But can God use a King James Bible to save somebody? Absolutely. Can God use an ESV Bible to save somebody? Absolutely. Can God use an RSV to save somebody? Yes! And he has. And he will continue to do so. You know why? Because when it's God's word, it'll save. I've never led anybody to the Lord out of the Apocrypha. I can be honest about that. I've never used an apocryphal book to see somebody get saved. Never happened. Has anybody ever gotten saved out of the Apocrypha? I've never heard testimony of it. You know why? It's not the word of God. It's not part of the canon of scripture. So let me also share with you what it doesn't imply. It doesn't imply that the Bible is exhaustive on every topic or issue. But it does have a word about principles and precepts on every issue of life. So if you went to the Bible and said, all right, I'm going to find uh, sex trafficking. Well, you might be able to find that in Diana's temple or something. But you, you, you look for a specific sin of our generation. It, you know, viewing pornography on a computer. What does God's word say about that? Well, it has principles and precepts about pornography, right? It has principles and precepts about guarding your eyes, right? But does it use the word pornography? No, it doesn't. It uses erotica. We could get close. Eris, the Greek word. Eris, erotica. That, that's what it comes from. That's a Greek word. But we, 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 it doesn't expressively, exhaustively say everything about pornography. Now, does the Bible confront that issue? Absolutely. Do we deal with that in counseling? Absolutely. Do we use verses in scripture? Absolutely. But does it come out and just flat say, thou shalt not view pornographic material, lest thou, they that thou does, thou shalt die? No, it doesn't say that. And we're disingenuous to say that it does. So we have to be honest. Does the Bible exhaustively share every topic and issue exhaustively straightforward in Scripture? And the answer is no. 
Are there precepts and principles to cover every area of life? The answer is yes. So the Bible does have something to say about it, but we have to be honest uh, about the, the culture we live in. So in the end, the purpose of reading the Bible is personal change that results in God being glorified. Amen? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you open God's word? Hopefully, it's so that you can personally be more conformed to the image of God, and then that becomes a blessing to others because you glorify God with your body by investing the word of God into other people, what you know into other people's lives. So, H.A. Ironside, how many ever heard of that guy? Right? H.A. Ironside had a, had a quote, and it says this, The word is for cleansing as well as for instruction. And if it keeps going through you, it will have a marvelous effect upon your mind and your heart and your life. It will cleanse and purify you and fit you to be a, I like what he says here, a real worker, right? As opposed to what? A bogus worker? I don't know. A fake worker for the Lord? Uh, You'll be a real worker for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know why he was pointed in saying that, but here's the reality. If you allow the word of God to go through you, guess what it's going to do? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Thoroughly scrub us. What does cleansing mean? If you cleanse your sink, do you just sprinkle it with a little soap? You're in there scrubbing, right? You're working out the, the, the little grooves, the little areas. You want all that stuff clean. To thoroughly cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what God's word does? It goes into the innermost part of our lives. It cleanses us from the inside out. It makes us what God wants us to be. Guess what the verses say again? God's desire is to make you perfect, complete, lacking nothing so that you can do whatever God wants you to do. How do you get there? Scripture. Going to church, checking the box isn't going to get you there, but it's going to help you. What are the benefits of church? Well, it's a teaching time, it's an instructing time, it's a reproving time, and, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a working time. We're, we're being educated and trying to stay right and keep right, right? And this is where we come together to fellowship and to worship together and to do all that stuff together as a community of believers. But without the Word of God in your life, it's going to be hard. It's going to be like holding your breath all week and then trying to run a marathon based on what you get into in church. Because your only exposure then is when? In church. So if the only food or only oxygen you breathe is this morning, and then you go try to run all week, you're going to fail miserably. How many have seen that? How many have experienced that? My hand's up, because I have. You're like, you're a pastor, you didn't... Yeah. You ever get too busy? You ever justify bad behavior? Absolutely, we've all been there. By the way, I know you have too, you know why? For all of sin and come, what does it mean to come short? You don't make it. You ran out of air. You didn't finish. You fell short of the glory of God. You fell short of God's standards. What does the word of God do? It empowers you to finish well. It empowers you to run well. It empowers you to run strong. It empowers you to run confidently. It empowers you to do everything that God wants you to do and has called you to do. Do you believe that? So here's the real ending. Either this book, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. 
Here's the real question. Do you believe that? That's the application. Do you believe it? If so, get in the book. You say, well, Pastor, you didn't tell us how to study it yet. That's what next week's for. <laughs> I had to tell you why first before I tell you how. So are you convinced that you need to study the Bible every day? I hope so. I hope just as you breathe oxygen every minute that the word of God is something that you realize we need every day in our lives as well. Paul actually said what? He meditated on the scripture all the time. He chewed on it like a cow chews on the, or chews on the cud. He'd regurgitate and bring it back up, meditate on it, then eat it, and then bring it back up again and think about it and meditate on it and take it in. And then he'd do the same thing all day long. And it's great. The more you're in the word of God, the more you're going to be conformed to the word of God. The more you're going to be challenged by the word of God, directed by the word of God. So, very familiar passage this morning, but I want us to start out all with the same foundation. And now, next week, we'll get into some more of the nuances of how we study the Word of God. How do we break it down? How, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into how it's constructed. There's this many books in the Old Testament. This, You know what? There's a concordance in the front that will show you that, right? But we will talk about how do you study this book? Why do we study this book? And then how do you know which versions and all? We'll talk about all that stuff in the weeks ahead. So, but I've never done a series on this in, in the Sunday morning service, and I think, I think it's time. Whether or not it's for you here in the pew, I know it's profitable for the ones that are watching because it's some of the ones that are watching that are asking the questions. And uh, you're invited to be here too, so there's that. Um, but, you know, all of us need to be reminded of what this book can do and why we study and how we study it. And it is profitable. It is for our betterment. And it is to make you more complete than you were before you started reading it. And that is the blessing and the promise God's word has for you. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is a book that is powerful. I thank you that it is a book that is knowable. I thank you for a book, for, that the Bible is a book that is your words. I don't have to trust a church. I don't have to trust uh, a pastor. I don't have to trust a person. I can take your word. I can open it up. I can read it and I can ask, what does this mean? And Father, your Holy Spirit will then guide and it will show us what we need to know about your word. And Father, it will illuminate to us the scriptures and it will interpret the scriptures for us. And Father, I thank you that there is the Holy Spirit that's alive and well today in believers. And Father, he's working also in unbelievers to draw men, all men to themselves. <coughs> And Father, I pray that as we open the Word of God in the weeks ahead, that Lord, this would not be just an academic exercise. I don't want it to be that, Father. But I really want it to be a practical application of what your Word is. That we can take your Word, we can read it, we can heed it, and we can do it. And it'll, be, uh, it'll glorify you in the process, and it'll be a blessing to others as we live it out. And Father, we'll grow as well as a result of being in your Word. So, Father, help us to be students. Help us to be readers. Help us to be listeners of your word and not just doers. But, Father, help us to understand what we're doing with purpose. Help us to understand the mission and calling that you have for us. And, Lord, help us to always be ready to give an answer to anybody that may ask of the hope that's within us with meekness and fear because that's what started this series was people asking and needing to be ready to give an answer in the culture we live in. So, Father, may it benefit those who are watching online. May it be a blessing to us who are here in the building. And, Father, may you be glorified as we begin this series and we begin studying so that we can show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, 
rightly dividing the word of truth. And Lord, our world is looking for something true today. And you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. Help us to share that in the weeks ahead. In your name we pray, all God's people said. If you're here today and maybe uh, God has spoken to you, maybe, maybe you just need to dedicate and say, Lord, uh, this week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate, I'm going to read your word every day. Maybe take me up on the Jude study. Take Jude and read, it, read Jude every day for 30 days. For the next 30 days, what is today's date, 22nd? Till June 22nd. Read, read the book of Jude every day. Take you like literally four minutes. Now, if you do it right, it'll take you longer. Okay? If you're reading for content, it'll take you a little longer. But even if you're not, even if you're just a skimmer, right? Skim that book for the next 30 days and test and see if God's word doesn't speak to you. See if you don't find about 110 different Bible studies you can do off that little tiny book. And I, I promise you this, if you do that, God will change your life. God will start scrubbing you from the inside out. If you doubt me, then try it. If you believe me, try it. You got nothing to lose, I promise.